Listen, Galatians 3, we're going we're gonna to try and wrap this up. I, I told you several weeks ago, um, I, I gave you this challenge. Go and try to teach the second half of Galatians 3, and you try to figure out where to break it up and how to, and how to kind of fit it into three neat uh, uh, sermons. It's a little bit challenging. Um, and what I want to do is this. I recognize that, um, that we need review. Some of you are, are painters. You've painted rooms, and you know that a lot of times one coat leaves things showing through. Um, we've actually gone through and done uh, a few coats of this. And what I want to do is I want to go back and just reach back to kind of bring us up to speed. If you happen to have missed these two sermons in Galatians, you're going to get, um, you're going to get about an hour and a half worth of teaching in about two minutes. So I just, want to, I just want to kind of bring us up to speed so that when we get to this last section that we're talking about, we don't just put our modern idea of what that means. We're going to be talking about being a son of God, a child of God, that we're all unified. And what happens is we'll tend to just bring you know, Silicon Valley, a 2013 meaning to that, uh, unless we go back and just kind of on-ramp and kind of catch up to speed with what Paul had in mind as he's writing this to the churches in Galatians. So let me just show you this. You don't need to be able to read this. I'll read it for you. Bottom line is this. Every time you see a verse here, it has the word promise in it. This goes from Galatians 3.14 to Galatians 3, uh, 3.29. So in a few short verses, half of a chapter, the word promise is mentioned over and over and over and over. Here's a big theme that Paul's pushing on. God made a promise. And when God promises it, he doesn't need to strengthen it. It's different than when we make promises. Remember we had to strengthen our word, right? Uh, uh, stick a needle in my eye. How does that go again? I always blank on that part. Cross my heart, heart hope to Remember that whole thing? So we strengthen our promises. We have plan B to our promises because we're not all-knowing and we can't make a promise the way God does. But God's promise is a, is a giant theme. Also, the name Abraham shows up. Uh, this is just, just under a chapter's worth, and here it is over and over. Abraham, 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 Abraham. God's talking about, or Paul's writing about the promise that God made specifically to Abraham. And he's driving home. This isn't just kind of a general mushy promise. There's something very historical, or there's something very specific that he's talking about. And then what you see, what's even more surprising is this. This is the word law. Paul is talking about law. Uh, not just for one screen worth, and the font got smaller, but a whole second screen worth. That's a lot of law, okay? And Paul is wanting us to see that, that the promise that Abraham and that law are all kind of this, he's driving home this logic, he's driving home this point. And if we don't, if we don't catch this, then what happens is we, we miss the full impact of what he's saying. And it turns into just kind of world peace. It turns into one of those things that doesn't really mean anything. And we don't believe it at all. It just becomes kind of this flimsy thing. And when storms come, we wash out in our faith because we go, well, it was just a world peace thing anyways. It wasn't. It was real. It is real. And Paul's wanting the, the Galatians. Remember how he starts the book? Who's bewitched you? You foolish church. That's what he's saying. He's, he's, he's telling them. Don't get off course here. Don't start believing something different. This is what's real, and it matters. And if it doesn't matter to you today, it will next week, because life happens. So pay attention. I'm echoing Paul wanting you to pay attention. Here's what we were under the law. Not that. Here's what we were under the law. Back up. There we go. 
What we were is prisoners, okay? Um, Galatians 3.22, you can see it there, that, that the, the law imprisoned or shut up everything under sin. Remember what the law did? The law didn't come to save. There wasn't power to save in the law, or else God would have given a law that could have saved. The law just shows the boundary and shows that we're in desperate need of a Savior. So what we are born into under the law is prisoners. But it's not prisoners like Alcatraz. It's prisoners like protective custody almost. That's, that's where he's going with it. He goes on to say that we're minors. And we use the illustration of a car seat, right? Because we all get this, that the car seats, we take our kids, we place them in the physical constraints of a car seat for a season of time, right? It's not for all of time, but while they're minors, for their own good, they're going to be bound by this car seat, and that car seat is going to usher them safely to where we need them to be, okay? That's the law. God is a loving father, safely and against our will. Think fighting toddler. If you don't, if you can't imagine that, walk out to my car in an hour and a half. We will show you. Fighting toddler in a car seat, they're constrained for a season until they safely get to where they go. Where does the law bring us? The law brings us to Christ. Right? Once Christ comes, the, we're, we're set free from that. So this is what we are under the law. Most of us didn't realize that, right? For a long time, I just went through life. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that's what I was. I had some frustrations of the curse. I had some frustrations of not being free. I didn't understand it. But as you go through life and you see the scriptures putting, putting voice to it, you say, I'm starting to understand it. And then um, we had some action items. One of the action items that I wanted you to do from several weeks back was this. Go to a library, find the thickest law book you could possibly find and start to read it. Remember that? I want you just reading this law book, and after 30 seconds, you'll be bored to tears, and I want you to stop at that point. And at that point, in, in the library, I, I asked you, please, just have a worship service right there that, that, that we don't have to follow, that, that this, this knowing and understanding every jot and tittle of the law and making sure we're in right with God is not the path God has for us. Man, that's binding. That's religion. Um, I met a guy... Uh, uh, yesterday, and I was talking with him, and, and we were discussing things, and, and he let me know in no uncertain terms once I was a pastor. He was asking me questions, and I began to ask questions back. He goes, he goes hey, he, here's, how he, here's how he put it. He said, um, he said, we keep God in our hearts. My, my, my wife and I keep God in our hearts, but we keep our butts at home on Sunday morning. And what he was saying is this, I'm not interested in church. I'm not interested in, in doing that, that, that whole church thing. Um, and, and, and as I, as I talked a little further, you know, it, it, just, it just got real hazy for him in terms of what he really does kind of put, put his hope and his, and his foundation in. But what I was getting a sense from him was this, that, that he saw church, he saw what you're doing right now as this, legalism. As all of you are being coerced by me somehow to say you better have your rear end in one of our red chairs on time all the way through and no sleeping, Okay. The no sleeping part, I will come after you. If you sleep, just all bets are off. Fair game. I can do whatever I want to you. I've got the mic. All right? Just kidding. Um, but that's not it. That's not the gospel. I, I would not have given my life to that. I would have gone into police work if that's what I wanted to do. That's not the gospel. That's, that's, that's religion. And that's the very thing Jesus came to shatter and blow up. So, 
That's the action item from a few weeks ago. And then we said, uh, just, just before Christmas, we said, here's what we are in Christ. Here's what we were under the law. Here's what we now are because of, because faith came, because of the advent of the Christ child, because of Christmas. Here's what we now are. And what he says is this, we're beloved sons. And ladies, you're roped into that. We're beloved sons of God. And what we want to do this morning is just kind of wrap up and just see the other two things that, that Paul makes explicitly clear. Follow along with me, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Again, this is a very intricate pa- uh, passage of Scripture, and we're going to take just a couple of moments to kind of draw, draw, uh, draw some things out. Verse 24, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we may be justified by faith. He's contrasting that with being justified by keeping the law. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. <clears throat> I want to say a very brief word about baptism because Paul brings up baptism right here in the middle of Galatians. Um, there's a ton of confusion on baptism, and there's a ton of questions that swirl around it and all kinds of things. And one of the beauties of just teaching through a book of the Bible is today, in our passage, I'm going to talk about baptism. I'm going to talk about racism. And those are two things that just working your way through a book of the Bible, um, the Bible speaks to everyday life and modern society, things we talk about all the time and things that, are, that, are, that, that deeply matter to us. I want to bring up baptism because Paul brings up baptism, and, and, and here's what it is. Um, Jesus clearly taught um, as, he, as he went through ministry, and especially as he gave the great commandment, um, to, to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. As you read through the book of Acts, you see this over and over pattern of just believers coming to faith and being baptized. Believers coming to faith and being baptized. We've taken that as a church and said, this seems really important. We're going to do that. We're going to baptize people as they come to faith. And for those of you who are in the faith and you've never heard clear teaching on it and you see, wow, the pattern seems to be come to faith, be baptized. I've now learned something new. Even though I've been a Christian for 15 years, I've learned something new now. It's being revealed to me. I better obey that. I better humble myself and obey that. I better just trust what's going on here. Faith is an inward reality that is made visible by this outward symbol that Jesus instituted called baptism. Now, what I want to make really clear is this. For two and a half chapters, Paul has been preaching against having some external sign be the thing that needs to be added to so that you're really in with God. Remember junior varsity versus varsity Christian. And what happens is people were coming up and saying, hey, it's great that you have faith in Christ. We're not against that. But you also need to be circumcised. But you also need to follow this uh, religious rite of eating and, and washing. But you also need to observe these days and these commands. And what Paul has been saying for two and a half chapters is this. Nonsense. You're made right from 
God. It's all gift. It's all one way. There's nothing you add to it. So knock it off. And he's coming and he's vigorously shutting that down. Do you think all of a sudden he would take baptism and say, oh, but there is one thing, it's baptism. No. That's against all logic of the, of the whole flow of the book. The whole flow of the book is there's nothing you can add. So anyone who would come to you and say, you must, uh, you must receive Christ by faith and be baptized to be saved, you come to Galatians. Okay? You come to Galatians and you read chapter 1 to 3. The Bible says that that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. However, don't you see that while faith is mentioned, I think, some five times in this passage, um, and baptism's only mentioned once, it is mentioned once right here. So he's actually elevating it in importance, saying, hey, the outward visible kind of jersey that we put on, saying, I'm on Christ's team now, that's baptism. You're on the team, that happens all by the coach calling you out to be on the team. Get the jersey on. I'm kind of shy about water and people. Too bad. Get the jersey on. That's what we do. That's the outward sign saying, I'm in this family. So it's interesting that while he doesn't make so much of it that he mentions it five times in faith only once, he mentions faith a bunch and baptism only once, but he does mention it once in here, saying this is a marker, um, an outward marker, verse 27, that we are sons of God. All right, enough on baptism. I just wanted to give this little aside because it's right there in the scriptures. Okay, um, Look at verse 28. Um, we are all one. So not only are we beloved sons, but we're all one. The literal wording here is this. You are all one person in Christ. You are all one person in Christ. Uh, we did this series in Ephesians. The entire series was called One. Because Paul takes some of the ideas here. Go read chapter 2 and 3 again sometime in Ephesians in light of Galatians, and it'll kind of blow your mind. He expands so much on some of these themes. But we belong to each other in such a way that it, it's, not that we, it's not that we no longer are male or female. It's not that we don't have white females in here anymore. There, there are still white females, right? And there are other color-skinned males and, and, and all these things. Those things don't somehow dissipate, but they're now of no regard in terms of our privilege and our standing in front of God. So the old way of distinguishing each other and drawing up lines and divvying things up and saying, you're over there, I'm clearly over here, and I'm a step above you, he says, that's gone. That's wiped away. If you were a Jewish male, uh, you would go to morning prayers and you would be thankful for three things. Think right now of three things you're thankful for, just in your mind, okay? Think, think what they are. It probably isn't what a Jewish male at morning prayers would have prayed. Here's what he would have prayed. He would have prayed. He said, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you that I'm not a slave. And thank you that I'm not a woman. Those are the three things that a Gentile male in Paul's day would have prayed. Now, do you see what Paul attacks in this short passage? There is now what? There's no more Gentile and Jew. There's no more slave and free. There's no more male and female. The prayer actually isn't so much of a put-down on Gentiles, slaves, or females per se, but rather to say, I wouldn't have this privileged access. There were certain religious rights I would not be able to, to participate in as a Jewish male if I were one of those three things. I would be in the outer court. I would not be able to, to come close. I wouldn't be able to participate in these different things. 
And so what Paul's attacking is he's going after that mindset. Now, we don't have time to look at one of these. I want to pick race um, and spend just a couple of minutes talking race because, um, by the way, think about this. I've been watching this for four weeks now. I'll tell you what dominates our news, our politics, um, the arguments going on in the blogosphere. So much of this has to do with sexes and sexual orientation, um, race, and economics. Look for it. I mean, this is what dominates what's, what's kind of polarizing our country in, in, into some different ways. It's not that this is new. This is as old as dirt, and the Bible speaks to it. Here's what I love. Here's what I want you to, to walk away with, with, with this. Jesus is the end of race privilege. There's a mentality that says it's called ethnocentricity. It's the belief, it's the deeply held belief that my race is somehow superior or privileged to another race. Now, here's what you're doing if you're like me. You're sitting here going, that sounds a lot like racism and bigotry. I'm not a bigot. I'm not a racist. Here's the problem. Almost every person you will ever meet says that about themselves. Is there racism and and bigotry going on in our world? Say yes. Of course there is. Jesus, turn to Luke 4. We have to go here. I know we're running short on time. But I want to earn my keep in my kids' eyes. (laughs) No, not really. I genuinely would not be up here saying something if God didn't give me something to say. I'd be quiet and sit down. Luke 4. I just want to show you this. This is like the never-ending sermon. This is going to continue on into 2014. This is my longest sermon yet. It's gone for like a month. Luke chapter 4. Uh, this is Jesus putting an end to the snobbery uh, that, that goes on with um, kind of an, an ethnocentric mindset that, that can go on. And what he's doing is he's showing that the kingdom of God um, is, not, is not what you think it is. The kingdom of God is not what you think it is. And, and, and as I looked into this, as I was studying for this week... I was blown away with some new things I learned. I thought, wow, the kingdom of God isn't what I thought it was. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is beginning his, his public ministry, and it says this, uh, uh, look at verse 16. It says, and he came to Nazareth. That's his hometown, remember, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That was his normal thing. He was a Jewish kid. He went to Sabbath And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And it goes on to have a passage from Isaiah predicting the Messiah. He reads it out loud, he rolls it up, and what he says is this, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if that didn't cause a stir, this is the hometown boy saying, I'm the Messiah. That's what he just did. That's news. That's newsworthy right there, right? Look at what they say in verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Is he doing okay so far in his popularity rating? Yeah. He's doing just fine. Here's what's interesting. 
he goes on to tell what would appear to be two kind of disjointed and odd stories to throw in. I mean, he's on the climb. He's like, good, I'm, I'm, I'm going pretty good. And in verses 25 to 26, he's quoting from 1 Kings 17, their own scriptures. They would know this story. And here's, here's the story. Have you ever seen the Old Testament? It's kind of big. He had a lot to choose from. Jesus picks this story. Ready? He tells about a story where there were many widows in Israel, but that God passed over the ethnic Jews to miraculously bless the ethnic and political foreigner, a Gentile. He stands up and says, God passed over all, all of these widows in Israel to bless the foreigner miraculously. That didn't sit super well. He goes on to tell a second story in verse 27. Verse 27 is from 2 Kings 5, where he says, There are many Jewish lepers, but God skips them all to cleanse Naaman the Syrian. Again, ethnic Jews, you get passed over for the foreigner to be blessed supernaturally by God, healed from leprosy. The ethnocentric Jewish mindset evidently wasn't pleased with those two stories. Look at what it says. Verse 28, same chapter. When they heard these things, okay, compared to what he just said, I'm the Messiah, gracious words, we love it. The kingdom of God isn't centered on Jewishness. Look at what they say. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the, to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. Jesus is the end of racial privilege. Do you get it? Jesus opens his ministry nailing the race card. He says, let's put this on the table right now. I think my first sermon, I think I'll incite a riot. I love what it says the next verse, but passing through their midst, he went away. He's like, uh-uh, not my time. Pulled an Emmett Smith and he escaped for, you know, escaped through the crowd and, and was, and was, and was doing just fine. So his very first, very first sermon, he, he comes out and, and he basically teaches against this. Now stated positively, Jesus' death provides a brand new way of being and relating to one another as sons through faith. We're all sons through faith. We don't look and say, well, what color are you? What color son are you? What's your status in, in the world system? What's your rank? And we're, we're sons through faith. That's the, that's the new positive way. Over and over and over again, faith trumps ethnicity. Let me give you a few. The good Samaritan story. Who's the Samaritan? It's the half-breed. It's the outcast. They would have nothing in privilege and standing before God. But Jesus trumps ethnicity. Faith in Christ trumps ethnicity. Ten lepers are healed. One turns back to give thanks to God in humility. Guess who it is? The Samaritan is the one that turns back. There's a healing of a uh, Syrophoenician's daughter. That that would be a Gentile, a non-Jew. Jesus drives out money changers and he says that my uh, this shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Do you see how he's just drumming this home? He's, he's saying this thing is global. This thing is not centered on, on, on your race. He sends the disciples to all nations. 
We just all heard the story in a few different ways through song and story and drama and on TV that wise men from the East were the ones who recognized the Christ child. They were given special revelation. You know who they were? Gentiles, probably from Arabia or Persia. God opens the door to them even at the advent, the first advent of Christ's coming. Here's what I want to blow, blow apart. Don't look at this and go, well, I don't really struggle with Gentile Jew thing. I'll tell you what you struggle with. You still struggle with those who are like you and those who are different than you based on silly temporal things that have nothing to do with this new way of relating as a family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to read for you just a snippet of Ephesians 2. Don't have a slide for it, but we're beloved sons. We're one, and we're part of Abraham's seed. Now, that doesn't ring true. That doesn't ring like a big deal. I wouldn't have thought that was a big deal unless you track with promise and Abraham and law, and only those who are of Abraham's seed get in on that original promise. Only those who by faith are a part of the lineage get in on being an heir. Otherwise, your name is not read at the will. You're outside of it. Do you see now how big of a deal it is, how great it is that we're part of Abraham's seed? That matters to me, not just to people in Galatia. Ephesians 2.11, just listen. This is Paul kind of expanding on this in a different part of Scripture. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel's uh, of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our status pre-Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, catch this, by the blood of Christ. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time to unpack that. I just want that truth to kind of land on your hearts, and I'm praying the Holy Spirit to let that soak into your lives. I want to invite the band up, and I want to close with this thought. God has made a promise. Are you resting in it? Are you resting in it? If, if in Christ's blood you are a son, then you are one with others in Christ, and you are an heir. Rest in that. For those of you who are striving for equality, for recognition, for worth, let me hear, hear, hear this. It's already been provided for you in Christ. By the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. Some of you are striving in a different way. You're striving to make your horizontal relationships work. Husband and wife, sibling, friends, workmates, neighbors, and you're killing yourself. Reconciliation with God brings about reconciliation with one another. There is a oneness, I can guarantee you, that Ryan and Amanda have experienced with people halfway around the world that have nothing earthly in common with them and, 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 in, and in a temporal, just kind of man-made sense. They should never be deep friends. And they've developed just deep, intimate, close friendships in a very short span of time because of the reality of this verse right here. Many of us in this room have experienced exactly the same thing. 
Those of you who would look to your spiritual family and say, wow, I'm actually closer and more intimate with my spiritual family in a short period of time than I ever have been with my physical family, that's what's on display here. You've been reconciled with God. You're no longer alienated from God. And it's not even, it's not that we don't have to work at it, right? We do have to work at it. But there's this, there's this oneness that goes on with Christians that you just say, wow, you get this piece figured out and this piece starts to make a whole lot of sense. Here's what I pray for, church. I had some cool illustrations with William Wilberforce and Martin Luther King. If you want to spend part of your uh, extra time in this break doing some research, look at them fighting for racial equality, racial reconciliation from the standpoint of the gospel. Wouldn't it be amazing if this church were known for, as a church, showing off the glory of red and yellow, black and white, all being precious in God's sight. Because we recognize Christ died for a multicultural, multicolored family to be born out of that. If Christ died for that, shouldn't we strive for that? Shouldn't we work for that? Shouldn't we show off the glory of a good God by being a church that represents that? That's in our hands today, church. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for music. God, I pray that the truths of these passages would just continue to seep down. I pray that however many coats of paint we need, God, you'd keep painting us. Keep letting us just hear these things until they they just saturate our lives and saturate our minds. God, I pray our tongues would begin to be affected by this because what's what's occurring in our hearts is is coming out in the words that we say. Father, we love you. We, we, we love you. We thank you for this year. We look forward to the next year um, of, of, of what you're going to do and what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.